Support for this podcast and the following message come from Jack Daniels Tennessee Whiskey. Jack Daniels is the oldest, mellowest, whiskiest whiskey, and every drop is made in Lynchburg, Tennessee. Jack Daniels, turning nights into stories since 1866. Please drink responsibly. Worthy. That's the one word that singer-songwriter India Ree had projected behind her when she performed at this year's Grammy Awards ceremony before the telecast. And the timing couldn't have been more apt. I'm Anastasia Tsilkas from NPR Music, and I recently sat down with India Ree, who's a four-time Grammy winner and 22-time nominee, to talk about some controversies that have burst into public view. Artists and industry executives are demanding to have a greater presence for women at the Grammys and in the music industry more broadly. And those calls for greater inclusion and diversity intensified after the president and CEO of the Recording Academy, Neil Portnow, as well as the producer of the Grammy telecast, Ken Ehrlich, both made statements after the awards that, critics say, demeans the contributions of female musicians and women working in the industry. So Neil Portnow walked back his comments a few days later, and the Recording Academy, which is also known as NARIS, which stands for the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, pledged to create a new task force for inclusion and diversity. And earlier this week, the Recording Academy named Tina Chen as the chair of that new group. But the task force is just beginning to come together, so in the meantime, I sat down with India Ree to talk about how she feels as a longtime Grammy veteran and as a woman working in the music business. After Portnow and Ehrlich made their remarks, India Ree wrote an open letter to Portnow, and that's where I started my conversation with India, was talking about that letter. I wrote it because I felt triggered. I didn't write it to Neil Portnow specifically. I wrote it because I wanted to express how I felt. And I've learned the hard way that holding in things that I feel very strongly it hurts me, it makes me ill. And when I say triggered, I could put that in all capital letters. I have a almost 20 year history with the Grammys and I have a lot that I've been holding in for a lot of years. And so when he said that, I was triggered and I just wrote this letter, which actually is much longer than the one that ended up going out. I just like brain drained all of it onto my paper. But I put this statement out because I thought it was clear enough. I had never had an opportunity to publicly speak about my feelings about the Grammys and the voting process and how it all feels and how it's hurt me over the years and disempowered me over the years. I said what I said in this letter. So why don't we maybe start with the letter okay. you know, and tell me a little bit about what you wrote. My letter started with one word and the word is worthy. And it started with that because I think that word is powerful. It's a word that I've come to love. And so in this letter, I reference the performance I did on the pre-show at the Grammys. And so I say, in this performance, Worthy is behind me on this stage because it's my favorite word, it's my mantra, it's my life's philosophy. I know now with no uncertainty that regardless of the lack of compassion and fairness, that the world shows us at times that I am worthy. We all are. My favorite definition of this word is deserving of regard and respect. And anytime someone treats me as less than, I know they are mistaken. Uh, Neil Portnow, I think, is mistaken. I said I think his statements are a mess, but I get why he can't empathize with women and women of color. 
I understand what he is saying is that the more women there are, the more chances women have to win. But we need more women and more women of color and more inclusive minded people in positions of power in the rooms where decisions are made. When this happens, doors will open for women to be represented in more diverse ways. The music industry is dominated by white men and the Grammys and theirs are run and produced by only white men. The fact that Neil Port now says we'd be welcomed indicates he thinks we were not part of the household to begin with. The irony of you having given that beautiful performance at Mm -hmm. the pre-ceremony to be coupled with all of this is pretty striking to me. I understand why you would see it that way. For me... This was actually a pretty successful Grammy year <laughs> because, so backtrack, I performed on the Grammys once. It was in 2001. There's a whole nother conversation about that and how I got to the performance and how I was not invited at first, even though I had seven nominations. There was all this stuff. But then this year I was nominated for the pre-show and I was just, because I've grown into my power as a woman and I've been through this enough to heal myself from it. So this year when I was invited to perform at the pre-show, I was just like, Okay, cool. So I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going to wear what I want to wear. I'm going to smile. And I get to sing what for me is my favorite song I've ever written. It's a song called I Am Light. And so I was writing on that feeling. I wrote this letter because of all the back years of my history with it and just being triggered by it in that moment. This year, I made the choice about how I was going to feel at the Grammys. And so I had a pretty good time. I also had a successful time. I got a standing ovation, which is, you know, always meaningful anytime and has another layer of meaning when it's your peers. Absolutely. Which is why people want to win Grammys because it's your peers. It sounds like there was a lot of back and forthing when you performed the first time. Yeah. I've come to understand that this is just business. But, you know, when people's life's work is involved, it feels different for you. And so I was nominated for seven Grammys that year. And the reason why I call it business is because I was nominated and it was one of the big surprises of that year. It was 2001-2002 Grammy season. And it was a big surprise because I had sold less than like, maybe sold 700,000 copies of my first album, Acoustic Soul. And so everyone was shocked that I got this many nominations. So when it came to the show, you know, the Grammys, while we call it music industry's biggest night, it's also just a TV show. And so they have to get ratings. So they're going to put whoever the biggest name is there. And so I wasn't automatically invited to perform and I had to like lobby for it. So I got a chance to perform on, I, I think it was Jay Leno. And then I also did a show at the House of Blues And Stevie Wonder came up on stage with me at the show. And I used just that moment. I felt powerful in that moment because he was standing next to me. And I remember saying out loud, "Okay, Grammys, this is what I want to do. Give me a chance to perform or whatever. And then somebody backed out and then I got a chance to perform. But you feel like you had to personally lobby. Well, I wouldn't call it me personally. I had a team. I had a publicist. I had a label. We were all like, hey, come on, when you guys are going to give India her... A, a shot at the show. It was yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't just me. I wasn't on my own. I, I had been on my own in years after that, but that's, again, whole nother conversation. Then, so that night, the whole show went down and I didn't win anything. And people had a lot of speculations as to why. It depends on the lens you look through. Some people saw it as race. Some people saw it as music industry politics. I think it's a conflation of all of it. I think music industry politics is a conflation of racism and sexism and stuff like that. And so, went on to be nominated. I always forget. I have a different opinion personally about how many Grammys I've been nominated for. But I think technically I've been nominated for 24 in 18 years. And so someone could call that success. That's that's very substantial. Yeah, it is. It's meaningful. 
to an artist. In line with those nominations, though, it just often felt off. Like I got nominated one year for a song that was a folk song. I wrote a song for Oprah Winfrey's Leadership Academy for the girls at the school. It was a song called Beautiful Flower. I let them name it. They named it Beautiful Flower. And it was nominated for Best R&B Song. It was just guitar and vocal. It was clearly a folk song. That's where race comes into play. So like when you're a black artist, you could put in certain boxes. So, But I was still nominated, so why complain? You know, right. like, I was like, okay, I didn't win. But what you're saying is like they wouldn't consider it folk because you're a black artist. I think is that am I am I understanding I think, you correctly? Yes, but I also think from the beginning I would have never been considered folk because I was a black artist, not just by the Grammys, but by the music industry at in large. General. Yeah, right. Yeah. And so it just wouldn't. And so going back to this year, one of the reasons why I said it was a pretty good year for me, just personally, in addition to just being empowered and just having a good time, not being stressed out, not getting any stomach aches, not feeling funny about any of it, I also was nominated for best new age album, which for me is what the album was. Is the album of prayers and chants. It's a very deeply spiritual project. Yes, it's called Songversation Medicine. And so medicine, I wrote in the liner notes that I wanted to write an album that would administer to the hearts of people in this tumultuous times. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. them calling it New Age is the closest category they can put it in. And I like that. I didn't win, but I got to perform and so I did win. And I got a standing ovation and so I did win. So going back to from 2001 to 2017, there have been a lot of like little politically shaped happenstances around my nominations and my sometimes wins. I've won four. Even I want to say this to you, too. That first year when I was nominated and didn't win any, in subsequent years, people have called it being India Arid, like being worthy but being denied. And so even this year, you'll see some articles out there where they say, Jay-Z was India Arid, or before the show, will Jay-Z be India Arid? SZA was India Arid, right? And so they call it that because, in my opinion, in just distilling it down over the years, I think it was just really, really political. And so when the Grammys say they are, is music industry's biggest night, right? And it's so their favorite kind of self-branding. Yeah, I mean, we hope that that is what it would be. And it is. I guess it is music industry's biggest night. But it carries a connotation that it will be about the music. And it ends up being about the music and a lot of other things. So there's like a lot of political stuff and biases and hacking of the voting process and things that happen that create situations where some people win and some people don't. Sometimes people who are the most culturally relevant of that category don't win, but the big name wins. Like, you know, a juggernaut that is Bruno Mars won all most of the R&B categories. He swept. He swept, but he also swept the R&B categories. And so if you are an R&B music listener, there are musicians that people who really work in that world love and hold dear in a different way than they like Bruno Mars. And so the voting process, I feel like, sometimes doesn't take into account what is culturally relevant to the constituents of that category, right? I'm using that as an example. There are a lot of things that create situations that don't necessarily represent what some of us would like to see for the music industry's biggest night. And so I want to talk about Neil Port now in a second when you ask. But what I do feel is that the Grammy voting process needs to be revisited. It's my opinion. It's how a lot of us feel. A lot of my friends who are artists, how a lot of us feel. To make room for things to be more inclusive of what is important in the culture of that music. I'm a former Grammy voter myself. Okay. So I have some insight into 
the process okay. and the organization. Okay. Over the years, they've made certain tweaks to the voting process and deciding how you're eligible to vote and what the categories are. Like, there are kind of tiny shifts here and there. I didn't make these comments because I think Neil Port now needs to step down. I think there needs to be some fresh air in the office, in that office. I think that fresh air will obviously create representation. So, you know, when there are people like you in there, there are people who think like you in there. And I saw his statements, and I said this in my letter, I can understand why he sees it that way. He sees the world through his eyes as a person who doesn't deal with racism or sexism the way that a woman or a black woman would. I think the office would be served by a fresh, fresh air. I don't know that it needs new blood. I think it would be served by new blood. I don't feel like he needs to step down in a punitive way. I feel like the Recording Academy office in Neil Port now needs some fresh air, that the show needs fresh blood. I think there needs to be a new producer for the Grammy show. You're really, it sounds like, seeing them as two very different kinds of entities. I don't know if they're very different, but I see them as separate energies. My musical director, we've been together for 20 years, my musical director was the Recording Academy president for the Nashville chapter. So it's big. He's a young black man. He's a president of the Grammy chapter, of the Nashville chapter. And after he saw my letter, he sent me a link to an article, and it helped me to understand something I didn't know. And that's what changed my stance a little bit. So what I learned through this article is that the gender distinctions were taken out in 2012. Yes, they were. So like the female pop or the female country or the female R&B. All those that, that were gendered categories. Yeah, they were all taken out. When I think of Neil Portnow and Neris, I think that they were being politically correct. It just backfired. And it's hard to say to your own community, hey, we need these back because we should be better than this. But we might need those gendered categories back. I see that the Neris people wanting to be politically correct and trying. To me, that means a lot. It just backfired because of how society is, not because of how Neil Port now is. Talk about the Grammy show for a second. I think that even people who may not win to create more important moments at the Grammy show would mean a lot to more artists. Instead of just picking like whoever's biggest, put him in the slots, like Ken Ehrlich, his statement was kind of like, we have certain amount of slots, we put people in them. I think that a person who cared about the music in a different way or who understands the current climate of music in a different way would make that show different. It would mean a lot to the artists themselves. And I also think it would mean a lot to the ratings and the interest of people who are watching the show. I think seeing a more significant, diverse representation, creating more interesting moments on the Grammy show is as important as finding a way to make the voting process more inclusive and add up to an outcome that takes into account the culture of the music itself. You know, so I think the show and the voting process together, those are the things that I think need to be revisited. I don't think Neil Port now needs to step down. I think and there's a real diversity. I mean, not just in your letter. Sorry, but you know, mm. now there are now multiple right. open letters and right. petitions, and right. some of them are saying he's he must step down. That that's sort of fundamental to re envisioning. And then to what you're saying quite clearly, and to what other people are saying very clearly, it's not about getting rid of him, and somehow that that will change things. It's right. a much broader conversation, right. or a more time 
consuming and deeper conversation. Right. About and changing steps. the culture of it all. Exactly right. It takes a little bit more time. Exactly right. I don't think he needs to step down. I think it would be served if he did. That just the fresh air possibility. I don't think he needs to for that to happen. I don't. I understand why people think he should. I totally get it. It's just my discernment, my intuition. I don't think he needs to. Because I think there's a bigger conversation. And well, and this is where I'm going with this, is this industry, for what it is, it's not a pyramid with Nara sitting at the top. It's sort of a stand-in for a lot of the industry, right? Explain that to me. So what I'm thinking, this is very half-baked. So I'm thinking, I'm talking and thinking at the same time which is always a dangerous proposition. That's uh, how Neil Portnow got it. <laughs> that's, that's right. It's not, I was talking to a colleague who's reporting on sexual abuse and misconduct in sports, right? And obviously everyone's following what's happening in gymnastics. And she was saying to me, well, you know, in that world, in that sphere, everyone who's serious Everything filters up to the U.S. Olympics Committee, right? Mm-hmm. Like in all these different sports, mm-hmm. right? It all sort of pyramids up okay. to this one organizing okay. group, okay. right? Yeah. And everyone ultimately, whether you're doing fencing or gymnastics or boxing or whatever, biathlon, okay. you're all going to wind up eventually oh, okay. filtering up to the USOC. And That's they have ultimate, right? Uh-huh. And the music industry doesn't have that. Right. Naris doesn't occupy that position. De but facto it does, but it doesn't. Exactly right. And and that's the thing. De facto does it in your eyes? Is it that organization? Because, you know, the heads of whichever labels, whether you're talking about, you know, the megas like Sony or Universal or mm-hmm. independent artists or labels, those organizations are not reporting in any way to NARS, but winds up being kind of a stand-in. <sighs> so I'm thinking as I'm speaking to which, like you said, can be dangerous. <laughs> so what we're talking about, what you're talking about, is an office that is the go-to place for the ethical treatment of all of its constituents, for lack of a better word. That's An office of ethics. Yeah, or something. But we don't have that. No, and I wonder we don't. If, and I wonder if, you know, people's... No, out- we don't have that. People's sort of outrage at yeah. Portnow and Ehrlich and all this stuff. Yeah, they're the I only mean- people to focus it to. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, and I guess that's exactly what I'm saying. We're yeah. focusing it at him, but it's not necessarily him that's the issue. That would, I mean, assuming that this Office of Ethics for the Entertainment Industry, assuming it were not corrupt <laughs> itself, I think would... I don't know I'm saying. It would be a place for a lot of people to be heard. I'm not saying that we should have a, an institution like that, but I'm saying I wonder if, like, culturally... People responding specifically to Portnow and the Academy and Ehrlich. It's getting a lot of the heat at the moment. It's yeah. a terrible word. But yeah. because, you know, we're seeing here and there reports of misconduct and abuse and systemic lack of representation. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of that fire is also because there's no other entity really to point at. It's <laughs> funny. I never thought of it that way. Because in my mind, Naris is that. But what they don't have is a department inside of Naris that serves as that. Maybe that's what they're calling this task force, that it's a, a group of people who will focus on the ethical treatment. I wonder. Obviously, this is a really nascent thing, right? That's this really, is... really making me think. Because there needs to be something like that. There are hundreds of thousands of people Everyone um, 
has their experiences and feelings about things and their complaints and their desire to be heard, and there's nowhere to focus it. And so when Neil Portnow makes a statement like that, people get triggered and they direct everything at him. And he is not that office. I think there does need to be that office. I certainly would have made complaints over the years, and I know a lot of people who would have. And that gets all tangled up in people worrying about their individual careers or relationships. Aren't we all worried about our careers and our relationships and being seen and being respected and being heard? That's what we're here for. We all want to be heard. And so, of course, it gets tangled up in that. That's what a trigger is. It's your issue, and somebody turns it on. Neil Portnow or the Grammys or any of that, they don't dictate how I experience my experience, you know, how I take it over the years, how I hold it, how it hurts my heart. It's not their doing. It's how I take it. And so we all want a place to be heard. But to be like 25 and to learn about the political nature of the music industry on television, in front of the whole music industry, and to learn what that's like, it's hurtful. And so, yeah, it hurt. Neil Portnow is not the reason why it hurt. It would be nice if there were a place that people were heard and things could be addressed. I like that idea. Yeah, it has value, just even as a suggestion in a place where there are no suggestions. Uh-huh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's just a point, a starting point for a discussion. I want to tell you something that Jimmy Jam told me. He said that after the year that I was shut out at the Grammys, that they wanted to create a category that would represent the cutting edge of black music. And so they called it Urban Alternative, I think. I should know this name because I won that Grammy twice. (laughs) So I think it was made for me and people like me. And they ended up um, removing that category. But things like that I've heard of happening, where it's like, okay, well, if artists like this are going to get shut out, let's create a category where artists like this can be, can have an opportunity even to be nominated. And so I thought that, that whole thing was cool. And it ended up being important to me because I won for a song that didn't fit into anybody's box. It was a duet I did with an African musician named Dobe Nore. And we did a remake of Sade's song, Pearls. And then I won again for, I think it was my album, Voyage to India. I can't remember. I won Urban Alternative twice. So I think there are people in there trying, but I have not heard of a, what, what would someone call that? The highest office of the ethical treatment of artists. I haven't heard of that. And it's not just artists. You know, we're seeing stories left and right. Right, entertainment people, industry. industry. Yeah, you know, people. The office for the ethical treatment of the entertainment. What would someone <laughs> call it? IEE or something. Yeah, we need a good acronym. But yeah, I mean, these issues are so pervasive. Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And They're it, so pervasive that sometimes you have to convince people that they exist. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> any time I would bring it up, people would treat me like I was just complaining. Until now, but now it's a different climate just in the world, in our society. There was never a time until now where I really had a chance to really speak about it because I would have to convince people that the systemic racism was real. I would have to convince people that when you're a black woman, there's a systemic racism and a systemic sexism that you deal with. Like, So I was always trying to convince people. To use a word that's very much in common currency now, like this feeling of being gaslit a little bit in, or dismissed mm-hmm. when you've tried to bring up these issues. Yeah. What I ended up sending out to press, what my publicist sent out to the press, my comments are much shorter than what I wrote. And those long comments were because of that feeling dismissed. And I just 
had to get it out. And it's not the only time. I, I wrote an essay series that are, it's on my website called Songversation, I Am Light. And in part of that, I address what it's like to be a black woman in the music industry. I think it's part five or something like that. But I did it because I just had to get it out. And some people read it, but a lot of people who read it were not music industry people. It was just more like people who like to read, who are fans of mine, who wanted to have a conversation about something that meant something to me or perhaps to them and finding ways that it matters in their own worlds, you know, finding the common thread between my story and theirs. It wasn't like widely read in the music industry, but I had to say it because I just there's never been a place to say it. Not really. Yeah. A little bit, you know, like I would get a little statement here and there a little bit, but not really. And, and, you know, being heard is is a kindness that you do for people. Listening is, is something that you yeah. do for oh, people. Oh, that's what they say. Listening is a kindness, however that phrase goes. Yeah, yeah. And it is. Well, it's validating. I mean, it's yeah. really, you know, to know that people are are listening and and trying, trying. to make it better, right? But that's where we are now, right? That's why people are triggered. It's a very clearly painful moment, but I hope that people take it as an opportunity to actually make substantial progress. Yeah. Having this conversation with you has started to make me question myself about what I will do. Hmm. Uh, Because I've written my essays, I've spoken as best I could. And so going back to my letter and how it starts with the word worthy in our society, we all have the opportunity to confront our self-worth or lack thereof in whatever sociological situation we find ourselves in. For me, it just happens to be the music industry. I'm not saying that the Grammys or Nairis is the worst thing in the world. I'm saying this is the world I grew up in. I got signed when I was 22. I'm 42 now. I learned those lessons that we all learn in this context. And so I had to learn one of the most hurtful things about my career and therefore my life was that shutout at the Grammys. And so I had to learn to go back and a lot of other things too, personal things, family things, being an abuse survivor, a lot of things. I had to go back and look at those things and discover my own self-worth and teach myself that I'm worthy and that I, so I say in my essays and in my songversation talks, I'm worthy and I'm significant and I matter because I exist. And anytime anyone treats me as less than, I know they are mistaken, right? So I had to learn that and I learned a lot of that through being disempowered in the music industry as a woman, as a black woman. It's, uh, like you said, it's a painful moment. And I think also on the flip side of that, it's a moment for that could be growing pains. And so I think about what I'm gonna do. I know what I've done for myself, like personally, I know what I'm gonna do this year with my next project and the most common subject matter of my songwriting has been self-worth and self-love and love of all kinds. And I think this is a moment when people are being given the outlet to vent and the opportunity to cultivate a self-worth that is not contingent upon someone else's treatment of you. I've gotten there mostly so I went to the Grammys this year. So at the beginning of our conversation, I said, I had, a, I had a pretty good time. And so I put Worthy on that screen. The fact that I was able to put Worthy on the screen, that I was able to sing my song, I Am Light, for me, comes out of my own healing of myself. And the, some of those wounds came from the music industry. And so I, I see where a lot of people are. And this conversation with you is making me wonder what else I can do. Just as a person who has been on this journey for 20 years of wanting to be empowered and trying to figure out how more people can be seen and how people can be empowered and how we can be heard and how 
women and black women can be respected and it's a big they're big things they're they're big things it's a life's journey right and so that's what I learned is that the only thing I can control is me but then I also have a platform and so it's been my goal to help other people find the the worthiness I found just through my music it's what I have to offer someone asked me was this being conflated with the Me Too movement and I don't think so I think it's being fueled by it people are now being heard like about this thing that is systemic that's been uh, undercurrent all the time, it always has been. Women have always been exploited. Our bodies, our beauty, mm-hmm. you know, has always been exploited. Always. But now that it's opening, the floodgates are open. It's like kindling, you know? It's a kindling for much bigger right. conversation. Right. I want to say this, too, that having more women and women of color in positions of power, women to be represented in more diverse ways. I'm not just talking about being represented. I'm also talking about women being able to actually be successful without having to pander to the male gaze. All of our biggest female artists, 99.9% of them, are hypersexual. And I'm not judging it. You have to be to be that big a female star. Smart business. But I want to see more female Ed Sheerans. They're there. They're just not... They're not getting any of the attention. They're not getting any of the play, any of the attention. I loved what Alessia Cara said at the award ceremony. You know, she said there are artists out there, paraphrasing, of course, artists out there who are great and making great music, but they're not seen and they're not heard because of how things are structured in our society. And so with women, it's structured that way. You play one of these roles, a very hypersexual female archetype, if you want to be a big, big star. There are always people, there's a Megan Trainer. you know, there's a me. There are always going to be people who don't have to fit into that slot, but it's, there's like one at a time. That's your box. That's, That's a, your yeah, box. Yeah. You're put in the box of the girl who doesn't take off her clothes, and then somebody else gets to be in that box next year, and somebody else gets the box. There's Corinne Bailey Ray. There's Janelle Monet, But it doesn't all happen at the same time. The hypersexual archetypes all happen at the same time. It's what one of the things the music industry is built on. And speaking of boxes, and since you brought up Janelle Monet, that was one of the most stunning things uh, and notable things about the show this year is that the the women's issues, the ladies' hour, <laughs> as I've kind of come to think of it, was mm-hmm. sort of sandwiched in. Janelle Monet gave that very pointed, fiery introduction. Mm-hmm. Kesha and all the artists who appeared on stage with her gave this really moving, I thought, performance. Mm-hmm. But they're like, okay, now we're done. That was the box mm-hmm. for to talk about these things and just rolled on out yeah. after that. I mean, uh, that's the systemic part. Yep. They say, okay, ladies, what, what do we say? You will be welcomed right now. Okay, ladies, on to the next thing. But it has to be that way. Somebody has, we have to make a little quick noise and then move on to the next thing. Yeah, and I mean, listen. Right now, that's how it is. I mean, and listen, like media production, I'm in it too. Like you have a certain number of minutes to make a thing to go out into the world. But it felt very circumscribed and it felt very, you wore your white rose, they got their six minutes or whatever it was. It's TV. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's TV. I just want to go on record as saying that I'm hopeful. I'm skeptical about the sweeping changes being made and that those changes would shift things enough for people to feel respected, everyone uh, to feel respected. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical that the Me Too movement is going to take hold. The music industry is far too much built upon the 
beauty and bodies of women for that to happen. I think it just the whole thing would crumble. I'm hopeful for enough changes to be made that the triggers are fewer. I'm hopeful. I'm skeptical. But I'm hopeful. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it so very thank much. Thank you. That's India Ari talking with us about the Grammys, being a woman in the music business, and being optimistic moving forward. For NPR Music and All Songs Considered, I'm Anastasia Tsilkas. Mm-hmm.